Hello? I'm here. You there? Hello? Okay. 
Anybody hear me? Yes. I can now. Okay. We all on the phone together? I I guess we are. And Richard's on. Can do what? Is Richard on? No. Um. He told me that he let y'all know that twelve thirty was going to be the time. Oh. Okay. So you want to just sit here for the next few minutes and just wait for him to call in? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it I'm gonna leave it up and running. Um. And then uh, I'm gonna get back to work. So. You guys can drop and then dial back in, um, but oh. I would suggest maybe leaving it on, leaving it on speaker, uh, and your phone charging somewhere. Yeah. And then um, whenever you hear him join, then you'll know he'll be on the line. Okay. All right, I'm on mute. Yep, yep. I'm and I'm gonna go back to doing what I'm doing. Okay. All right. All right.
Yeah, there's a time there.
Hello. Hello. We don't. We don't. Hey. Yeah, RC hey. here. This is Jason. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, I was just, uh, can you hear me fine? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay. Okay, I appreciate you taking a call. Uh, Levi, are you on? Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. I can hear you. Okay. Okay, well, they gave you some, uh, you know, info on my case already. I was just wondering first, do you have anything to say? On it. Yeah, I've I've got some comments, you know, and I, I compliment you for your courage and your efforts. And uh, if I can do anything, uh, what I'll be doing is just maybe just uh, taking you up um, a notch or two. And I'm looking at what I presume to be a script for um, oral argument, and uh, it begins with uh, an explanation that you're going to third on. Uh, court on Thursday, and uh, it's areas uh, to cover, and uh, to start with, I see a statement uh, uh, on this, quote, no driver's license ticket, and the way to approach that, in my opinion, is state, I'm engaged in the activity, don't say business, say activity of, of whatever it is, is you're in, involved in. And then okay. pose the que- question, what is the statute that requires a, a driver's license to engage in the activity of? Okay. And uh, so you always want to keep the burden of proof on them. Now, there's a lot of confusion on these things that uh, relate to privileges. Uh, where something is a crime, of, as under uh, federal Title uh, 18, that is a crime. Where they come under uh, uh, Title 26 for so-called tax crimes, uh, those are quasi-criminal. Okay. And the the key element of understanding the difference between criminal and quasi-criminal is criminal applies to everybody. Right. The quasi-criminal applies only to those who are operating in a system of privilege. So relating it to, to uh, Title 26 of the U.S. Code, there are a number of revenue taxable activities and if you are engaged in one of those revenue taxable activities, you are required to file a return relating either your uh, receipts apportioned by uh, gross income or by units of sales so that you can then pay over taxes that you have collected from the actual taxpayers to the uh, federal treasury and your failure to do so or your uh, misrepresentation regarding that is a uh, quasi-criminal act. And you can still be fined and imprisoned, but it's quasi-criminal. And again, quasi-criminal only uh, narrowly relates to people that are operating in a system of privilege. Now, I think you already know that in your mind 
but maybe uh, you need to uh, practice expressing that to the court. And uh, uh, another thing is uh, where you relate to uh, uh, page 21, U.S. 471, uh, licenses defined by the estate Supreme Court as, and then you relate that information. And to ramp that up, you ask the court, why, why is what I'm doing a revenue tax activity? A revenue, excuse me, a revenue taxable activity. And okay. And how... Uh, how I have used that with one of my students down here. The man was is a farmer, and uh, he got hit with a uh, a latent uh, tax assessment from the state for failure to file a state income tax and pay state income taxes. And so we uh, went on the uh, defensive by asking, "What is the statute?" the rule or law that requires that I pay a, a um, uh, tax on the activity of being a farmer. And they came back with the uh, sales tax. And then w what is the evidence that I'm in, engaged in the sale of uh, produce from my farm that would subject me to having to pay sales taxes? And as far as I know, that killed it off. Uh, all times that the states, and that means federal government, state government, county, city, their authority over us must be derived from statute, not a criminal statute. It has to relate to an activity that we're engaged in that requires a uh, license or charter, or some authority that's granted by the state. And if we're not engaged in such an activity, uh, they have no business with us. So you're already thoughtfully there, but maybe that helps you a little bit. Okay, and, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, and uh, you're very welcome. And on where you get down further and you talk about page 72, U.S. 474, you are quoting... And so it's inappropriate to change the quote if you can pose the question to the court that it is true, is it not, when the uh, when page 74, U.S. 474, re refers to taxes on the licensed business, what they're re referring to is those who are engaged in revenue activ uh, taxable activities. To conclude otherwise, all businesses would be uh, subject to tax uh, without a statute. And that goes around full circle to the idea of a, uh, of a national sales tax. A national sales tax would, in fact, be a lawful tax so long as it is restricted to Interstate commerce and defining that years is just about it. But the key difference is all taxes are going to have to derive from a statute, and they're only going to be able to apply to a revenue tax activity. They cannot 
tax you for a right secured by the Constitution and including the right to own property or engage in the business or in to simply derive income from innocent labor. They have to cite where either the state or the federal government has enacted uh, legislation to impose a tax on an activity. All taxes must be uniform. So that's your fundamental you stray off an argument, you get into the bad person scenario. And we have to remember, we may be bad people, but that's not what the courtroom is for. The courtroom is for statutory duties. Where's my statutory duty? And right. uh, you can, uh, down there where you're engaging in your own argument, in the last line of the page that I'm looking at as it's printed out, so what tax statute is being forced? And I would rephrase that and say, what is the revenue taxable activity that is subject to regulation by this court? And where are the contracts in commerce with me as a party that impose a duty on me to pay a tax to the state? Okay. And then uh, uh, what is, to me, the next page looks like you're confident uh, throughout If There's only one thing I would add to it uh, where you're saying we still don't have an answer if this is an enforcement provision to some tax statute. This is fair to produce a license on demand as opposed to... Uh, the argument that they only have authority to require that you present them with a valid picture ID, which can be a number of things, most commonly a passport, or not most commonly, but alternately a passport, most commonly a driver's license. But uh, you can be compelled to identify yourself based on reasonable suspicion but that is defined as a valid picture ID. And it comes full circle to your argument of, of what is the statute that requires that I have a license, have to have a license on my person to right. engage in farmer or whatever. I'm looking now at... Uh, the uh, Jason Cassie's uh, mandatory judicial notice under authority of Mississippi Rules of Evidence. Okay. Uh, the first thing I do is I would always capitalize the property so that throughout the document and all documents it's capital letter G A S O N, capital letters A I S S I E. Right. And uh, yeah, it. it it's one of those things that is uh, always going to be recorded as uh, PIF to the court. And they're going to diminish anything you try to do if you start out like that. You absolutely okay. do not need to put your name in all capital letters. But to argue about the name in all capital letters takes you off point. And again, your core point is what is the statute that requires driver's license to be a 
armor? Well, you got to identify yourself. Well, I've got a passport, or I've got this, or I've got that, or whatever. So you can see that uh, the state has recognized a picture ID. I'm just wondering what authority you have to impose me to have a driver's license to conform with that. Uh, and down here, you're getting real close to a very important argument. Well, there's actually one underlying argument that you need to be aware of. Uh, the idea that a person is innocent until proven guilty <clears throat> is a myth. That is not supported by American jurisprudence. Once the information is sufficient to charge you with a crime, you are actually presumed guilty. The presumption of innocence only applies after an arraignment hearing where you pled not guilty. Now, what I'm telling you is something that is not understood by probably 99% of all lawyers and probably 90% of all judges don't understand what I just said. But it's an argument that we can always use to our advantage and to for an indictment, even a quasi-criminal indictment, it must state who, what, where, when, how, what law was violated, who's the victim, and what are the damages, or what is the consequence for violating a statutory duty. Uh, if all of that is there, you're absolutely presumed to be guilty. The problem that we have is we're held into court because we're bad people and one or more of those elements is missing. So you want to keep that in mind that you're two steps ahead of them if you understand that to properly be before the court, there have to be eight elements of a an offense that requires a fine or a imposition of imprisonment. And so when and I'm looking at uh, paragraph number two, after Jason Case Kessie was handcuffed and in the back of Ricky Hand's patrol car, Ricky Hand asked to see Jason Casey's proof of insurance. Again, uh, the fundamental law is if you arrest, you must indict. So where in the indictment does it show all eight elements of the alleged defense? And it has to show all eight of them. Okay, now there was no indictment ever, correct? I mean, there was, what? I was never indicted, right? I mean, I just, they're just if, bringing me to court. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you arrest, you must indict, period. Right. Or it's a false so they, arrest. Okay, so they've uh, since they did not indict me, it's a false arrest, correct? Absolutely, it is. If you okay. arrest, you must indict. An indictment okay. has eight elements. What are they? Who, what, where, when? Uh, I know damage. Uh, it needs a statute. Known uh, duty. Who, what? Where, when, how, what law was violated, who is the victim, 
and what are the damages or what is the consequence for violating a statutory duty. And where they're messing up right now is they probably have an incurable defect to the indictment or the presumption of an indictment because they're not saying what law you violated, and the reason they're not saying that is because there's not a statute that applies to you. In other words, there's no statute that requires that you have a driver's license relative to whatever it is that you do that could, under any theory, result in revenue and be a revenue taxable activity. Okay, they're moving on uh, two traffic tickets. Do we bring up that fatal defect? Uh, yeah, you can bring up the fatal defect, but see, here's an argument that you want to be very, very careful with. The right to travel has been defined by the United States Supreme Court as the right to move across a border from one state to another, either to establish a residence or an anticipation of residing for any length of time in the other state. And so instead of, instead of saying by imposing a duty on you to have a driver's license, when you're not even engaged in a revenue taxable activity that requires a license, they're interfering with they they are depriving you of the right to travel. No, they're interfering with it. Because the right to travel is the right to go from Tennessee to Mississippi without having to stop at a border checkpoint and acquire a visa. That's the right to travel. Go freely across the border, whether or not it be to live in another state, whether or not it be to establish a second home, whether it is to temporarily reside there or uh, be there overnight or whatever it is, that's the constitutional guarantee. You can travel from one place to another all over this country without permission of government. How do you do that? Well, an automobile or a motor vehicle is merely one way that you can do that. But uh, the argument is tricky because you have to define it as interfering with that right, not depriving you of that right. Okay, right. Okay. Now, that brings up another... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, that brings up a, a question then. If we're talking about transiting borders, that's protected by that. What about once you get within those states? I mean, well, once you get once you get within once you get within that state, you're protected by all of the states' laws that are intended to protect people in any way, because you are presumed to be a taxpayer. Mm-hmm. Your rights under the Constitution are based on the presumption that you're a taxpayer. They have nothing to do with citizenship. And all people that are living are presumed to eat and they are presumed to have paid taxes to acquire food to eat, all uh, absolutely making them a taxpayer. 
And because you're a taxpayer, you're entitled to all of the rights that ever anyone else is entitled to with the exception of the right to vote. And see, they when they talk about illegal immigrants, it's much ado about nothing. That's why the ultimate solution to the immigration problem is open borders. Because once a person is here, the only right that they don't have is the right to vote. That requires citizenship. But other than the right to vote, the merely mere fact that you're standing on American soil entitles you to all the protections of the federal government extending to all people who are citizens and the state government applying to all the state citizens irrespective of citizenship. So again, that's that's one that is way over the head of 99% of all lawyers and 90% of all judges and unfortunately almost all patriots. Not being a citizen is not a shield to either criminal or administrative or quasi-criminal authority. Okay, and uh, I'm looking at uh, uh, item four, and uh, it says Jason was arrested for not displaying a tax receipt to engage in a business privilege for livelihood or profit using the roads as a place of business. Uh, It's essentially awkward because uh, the, I would say, apparently, arrested apparently for not displaying a tax receipt to engage in a business privilege for livelihood or profit using the roads as a vehicle of commerce, or an, excuse me, not vehicle, but an article of commerce. Okay. Okay, because you don't have to be on a roadway, but to use a roadway to facilitate your business is in commerce. Yes. And uh, on five, I would say that uh, Jason was not in receipt of. Uh, any information informing him of the necessity to maintain a license. And it's fundamental law that they have to give notice of you. Publication of the law and statutes is such a notice, and that's why you go back and you say, what's the statute that imposed this duty on me? Okay. Uh, And again, Six, you could alter the wording of that is not in receipt of any proof of any contracts in commerce relating it to any any revenue taxable activity that requires a license. So I think you understand everything. It may be just a little bit of uh, ramping it up with uh, your uh, a little bit of uh, how you actually state it. Yeah. And where the judge judge alluded to the internet as uh, uh, establishing common knowledge of law, absolutely not true. The internet is not reliable. Give notice why? 
because okay. there's no reason there's no reason to presume that any person that every person has access to the internet. Plus, it is common on the internet wherever you see something published on the internet, it is informing you that it is not the law to actually get the law, the rule, or whatever it is. You're actually going to have to go to some public place and get it in hard copy. It is merely the suggestion that such a law exists. Right. And uh, now I'm looking at Defendant Jason's uh, pretrial brief. I would come down to Article 4. The patrolman did not have probable cause to pull Jason over and ask for any documents. Uh, this was a fishing expedition. Yeah, it was, but what's the point? The point is it was a revenue engine. In other words, it was just something to do to put money in the county or the state treasury. Okay, so I should replace it was a fishing expedition to it was a revenue engine? Right. Okay. And uh, then on Article 11, the patrolman committed false imprisonment. How? The patrolman committed false imprisonment by uh, taking you into custody without informing you of where in any charging document it was established who, what, where, when, how, what law was violated, who the victim is, and what's the consequence for violating a statutory duty. In other okay. words, in other words, there was a presumed indictment that failed to charge a crime. Same okay. response on 14 of proceedings in municipal court were a sham. Why? Uh, see, saying that they were a sham, that's the judge's decision. But stating why they were a sham is because they failed to establish who did what, where did they do it, when did they do it, how did they do it, what statute was violated, who's the victim, and what's the consequence. And then on 15 in municipal court, no enforceable statute or ordinance was provided to the defendant in place of no law. And on 18, uh, Jason was tried on a charge not made and found guilty on a charge not tried, both based on prejudice of the court who had a conflict of interest. Paymaster of the court is the same paymaster of the, uh, the because, the, because the, the court has a paymaster that he's beholden to. Okay. That benefits him by revenue produced by a revenue engine. Okay. So I, I hope those things um, help you.
Yeah, I appreciate it. I have uh, right. a couple of little questions, if you don't mind, if you have time. Sure, go ahead. One thing, well, I'm going to plead non-assumption by way of confession and avoidance. Uh, say um, again. I'm going to plead non-assumption by way of confession and avoidance. Uh, that's one of those. Uh, we found that plea in common law proceedings, uh, uh, coffee and repi, second edition. How old is it? Uh, Levi, do you know that? Mm, I think I think copyrighted in the sixties and seventies. Well, see, here's classes. here's the thing you have to watch out about any time you reference the co- a common law remedy. The common law remedy is not going to apply to a uh, criminal statute. Now, again, we're not dealing in the criminal statute here. We're dealing in a quasi-criminal statute. So the common law can apply in a quasi-criminal uh, matter if the state legislature has presumed common law remedies, which they probably have. But to uh, take that argument to its uh, uh, highest power, you want to find the statute enacted by the legislature that says the right of the people to plead under the common law is reserved. And okay. you want to quote, and you want to quote that statute. And even then, there is a possible peril in that they have may have statutized that subject matter. The thing that's important to remember when they statutize uh, common law is statutes in derogation of the common law have to be strictly construed. They have to read word for word, and they have to have the meaning, the common meaning of reading them word for word. So using terminology like statutes in court, the statute referenced or the statute presumed to be relied on is in derogation of the common law and reads as follows, meaning as follows, and you just duplicate it. The common man at arm's length has a right to rely on this as having a different meaning than has been uh, placed upon this statute by the court or the prosecution. Okay. They will they will they will probably recognize that they're in over their heads if you use language. Okay. And what if they deny me that plea? Just what do I what should I do then? Just plea not guilty? Uh actually uh I don't know enough about that plea to see what it constitutes as, as not guilty or not. It may equate to being nolo contendo. Okay. Okay. Uh, the non-assumption uh, and, and again, not to cut you off, but consider, see what you can find as far as uh, directed verdict, because you want to make it. You may want to move the court for a, a uh, directed verdict. Of now, not guilty, of not guilty, for failure to state a claim cognizable 
under the statutes of Mississippi or whatever. My understanding is a directed verdict is when there's not sufficient evidence to convict. Uh, it is, but what's, what are the elements of evidence? Who, what, where, when, how, what law was violated, and what facts support the violation of that law? Okay. And everything I've heard is you're, you're presumed to be dealing in contracts and commerce that require that you have a license and that you have uh, derived revenue under those contracts in commerce before it can be extended to a violation. In in other words, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, a person is required to have a hunting license to hunt game. And what if you have a shotgun and shells and you appear to be on your way to go hunting, but you don't have a driver's license. Can you be charged for not having a license? No, because you're not actually physically engaged in the in the uh, activity of hunting. It's like the old joke about the woman uh, being charged with fishing without a license when uh, she didn't have the fishing equipment in her hand and was not actually engaged in fishing. And she told the um, arresting game warden that she's going to have him arrested for rape. And he complained and she said, well, you're going to arrest me because I have the equipment to fish, but I'm not actually fishing, so you should be charged with rape even because you have the equipment for rape. And it's a joke, but it's it's resoundingly true. Logic resides above law. Law is inferior to logic. And how you'll see that sometimes expressed in an opinion is that some act of the prosecution or the court construed law to absurdity. In other words, to the point that it was illogical. Mm-hmm. Now, they're going to say, Mr. Casey, you've been, uh, were you driving without a license? What what would be a good response to that? Uh, I'm I'm not informed of any statute that requires that I have a license to engage in the activity of farming or whatever. Okay. And what about if they say, were you driving? I don't understand your question. Can you show me the definite can you show me the statutory definition of driving? Okay. Well, you better answer. What if I don't? Well, I'll find you in contempt under threat, duress, and coercion. No, I wasn't driving. Okay. Another one that we learned from Bill Clinton is if I properly understand your question, my answer is no. <laughs> okay. Okay. See, that always brings it back to this licensed activity. The argument's over the license. They ask me, you know, that's like asking where you engage the licensed activity. They ask that? I'm sorry, say again? They ask that or you ask that? Uh, This is a hypothetical based on 
you know, uh, Jason's question, what if they ask me if I'm driving? I said, that doesn't that always go back to, uh, well, of course, you, you made the response, so if I understand your question correctly, the answer is no. Yeah, and uh, I would use that as secondary. My primary response was, would be, I'm, I don't know what you mean by driving. Can you show me uh, a statute that defines driving? Okay, they'll, they'll, if, they're, if they're smart, they're going to stop and say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get it out. And they'll okay. come up there and driving let's, let, let's look at this. And the statute is going to not say driving, it's going to say operating a motor vehicle. Right. So you need to look at what and what that statute is. And uh, so far as I know, that statute is always going to be part of the commercial code. Yes. See, it tells you in there that the driver's license is predicated upon and relating to the operation of motor vehicles. And the motor vehicle licensing by the Commissioner of Revenue only, and I mean only, deals with interstate and interstate commerce. Right. Absolutely. So my, my, my rationale is this means you've got to be qualified to have the extra to get on the road and the extraordinary use of the roads as a place of commerce. Right. Which you know, nobody's belly aching at no, that. No, whoa, 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 whoa. no, whoa, 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 no, no. I would not use the word place. Okay. It's an article. Okay. It's an article of interstate commerce. Okay. It's just like a a telephone. Uh, you do, you do, you're not literally used doing business on the phone. The phone is the conduit for doing business. Okay. The business the business is person to person. Okay. So the phone facilitates interstate commerce, otherwise known as an article. It's an article. Okay. Yeah. Right. Here's one question, real quick. If after the officer's uh, testimony, yeah, he's just basically going to say, "Yeah, I saw Jason Casey uh, drive without, or yeah, I pulled him over and asked him for his license. He didn't give it to me. He later told me he didn't have one. Can I object and basically tell him that you know it's irrelevant uh, because even in my uh, my pre-trial brief and everything, you know, I show them, I, I, I admit that I don't have a license. And, you know, so the not having a license really is irrelevant. It's, do am I required to have one? You know, the, 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 the Ricky, or that the officer ended up giving no testimony on whether or not I was obligated to have and display a license on demand. There, there's two ways you can do that. You can object and you can say this: the state has not shown the uh, statutory duty to have a license. Okay. It's not. It's not in evidence. The other way to do it is to stipulate that you don't have a license. And that way, when he says it, well, no, it's already objections already been stipulated. I don't have a license. Okay. See that that was one of the stupid mistakes by uh, Stephen Jones during the trial of Tim McVeigh. You're not going to catch me saying that Tim McVeigh was innocent. 
but you're not going to get me to uh, admit that it wasn't a conspiracy because it was. Yeah. And so how you build a case against an individual that prevents a continuance of the trial until the other perpetrators are located is you just about blah, 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 on and on and on about how horrible it was. Uh, That could have been defeated by a stipulation that about X number of people were killed and that approximate cause of their death was a uh, massive explosion that happened on and about. See, when you stipulate to the court, then he could have jumped up and and objected to them talking about blood dripping off of building beams and body... Excuse me. Excuse me. Objection. This information is prejudicial to a fair trial. We've already stipulated a lot of people were killed. We've already stipulated that they died as a result of a bomb. We've already stipulated when it happened. So we do not need this display of the macabre to improperly influence the jury. But brilliant lawyers are few and far between, and they usually don't last long. Okay. But that to answer your question, you can object or you can stipulate. And you can notice the court of your stipulations. Okay. And that way he doesn't have anything to testify to. <laughs> right. Well, now... Uh, if the if you stipulate right up front, and they go through their dog and pony show, the what's the response to the court? They uh, directed verdict. Actually, actually, no, because your pretrial brief essentially condensed, distilled to its essence, is that you're not in receipt of any statute that requires that you have a driver's license. Okay, and a second question. Are they limited to their pleading so that they can only prove that it wasn't shown on demand and therefore it's defective when there's failure to show that, uh, that you are required to have it? Right. And, and again, the way to distill that argument is the presumed indictment has failed to charge you with a crime. It is defective inter alia. It does not show a statutory duty for you to have a license. Okay, now they all have just traffic tickets to go on. So he's been arrested and they're moving on traffic tickets. Can that that be shown as a fatal defect to or double jeopardy? Yes. Well, no, it can't be shown as double jeopardy. No, I mean, but it, to, to get but, the but here, but the but the defect is it is the charging document, right? And the charging document is the basis for the indictment if it produces the follow if it if it states under oath the eight elements of the offense. If it okay. leaves out so much as one of them, it it is the indictment fails to charge a crime 
or offense to public law. Okay. And because most of them don't even know what quasi-criminal is, you say it that way, fails to charge a crime or an offense to public law or policy. Okay. Okay. Because, see, there's a case it says that liability is derivative and cannot exist in absence of a primary violation. And the prosecution must plead with particularity the elements of the primary violation. And, and what, is, what are they really saying? You've got to have a, are, ta- a tax statute that imposes a no, duty before they no, can penalize. No no, 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 no. What they're essentially saying is who did what, where did yeah. they do it, when did they do it, what law was violated, in other words, what statute imposed a duty, who's the, who's the damaged party, and what's the consequence of violating a statutory duty. And if you can't show all, all of those, it's not only insufficient to charge you with an offense of a crime or public policy, but it's also uh, revealed to be a revenue engine. Okay. Okay. I got another question real quick. Uh, the ticket or the charging document, all it has is basically a box checked. No written statement about, uh, from from the officer, nothing. So if he tries to go up there and say anything besides what's on the ticket, which is, again, just a box checked, then can I object because uh, he's testifying uh, on something that I don't have in in front of me? Basically, no, you know, uh, sworn statement, no nothing? Well, first of all, did you get a copy of this? Yes, I have a copy of the ticket. I have the original tickets. Okay. Is it... uh, MCR, multiple copy register. Uh, I'm sure it is, yeah. Okay. Uh, You still have a couple of days. Go lay that out in the bright sunlight. Okay. Don't get any any water on it if you can help it. Just lay it in the bright sunlight. And object and say, I'm not informed of what this is all about. And I can't even read this. Right. Well, they did, they did send me later, they did send me copies of the ticket. Well, the point of it is, what did you get at the time? At the time, just one of those, yeah, those... Uh, copies. Yeah. Right. right. And, and again, uh, who who is there to testify that they didn't write something different than what you got. Right. Well, they didn't. So far, they haven't written anything. They haven't no, written anything. They they, but they handed you a ticket, right? Right. It has a box checked, and then, you know, it has my name and everything filled out. But it, they didn't write any details of the, of the event I, or I, anything. I, I, I know, but the point of it is, the argument is, I don't know what this is about. Well, you didn't have a driver's license. Well, what statute requires that I have one? Okay. And by the way, I can't even read this. Well, we sent you this. Well, I don't see that on this. Why isn't that on my copy? Okay. Right. They, the right. more that you can show, the more defects that you can show, the more advantage that you have if they're an honest defect. Okay. 
Yeah, because I had a faded out copy that you can't even read on it. Is it, you know, that just adds a little bit to it. Okay, now check, and uh, all this effort we've been doing, there's been two responses out there. One of them, they put in a motion for protective order so they didn't have to answer any discovery, and the material fell under the Brady purview. So we knew the questions and the answers were going to be outcome determinative. And uh, they said, well, you don't seem to understand the difference between interrogatories and requests for admissions and civil procedure and what's required under criminal procedure. And my response was, I don't care if I use smoke signals and signal mirrors. Supreme Court says you have to provide inculpatory and exculpatory evidence when it's in your possession. And these questions Absolutely. bring them Absolutely. Out. They have to give you they have to give you everything. So or or admit that they don't have it. There you go. So this is a obviously a you know an effort to this is where the sham of the municipal court was gonna to have to be answered on the discovery questions. Right. You and know, uh, moving for dismissal of the appeal. Yeah, failure to provide discovery is a denial of a procedural due process right. Failure to allow you to interrogate their witness is a deprivation of a substantive due process right. Procedure derives from the common law. Substantive derives from the Constitution. You have a constitutional right to confront your accuser. Okay. I didn't get to question them. Hmm. A a procedural due process right derives from the common law and cannot be and can be statutized, but both are fatal defects, okay. resulting in a void judgment. And when I bring those up, they're going to say uh, that. You know, this is a new trial, and all that stuff is wiped out. So what would be my uh, good response to that? Uh, A trial de novo examines the record of the prior court to look for, there's two criteria. One is, um, uh, I think, manifest error, and the other is, look it up, there's two criteria in a de novo trial. The de novo trial looks at the original trial through the eyes of a new judge. The new judge looks at what happened in the lower court and examines it for um, uh, errors. Uh, I, I've, I've forgotten. The, I'm getting old. I forgot the two standards. But use of discretion. No, no, no. Abuse of discretion is a cause for appeal. There, but there are two standards, and I think one is manifest error, and the other is misapplication of law. Okay. Well, yeah, they're just telling me because I, I, every time I try to bring up this uh, this stuff that happened in the municipal level, they keep saying, uh, you know, uh, you're we're getting a trial de novo. It's a totally new trial. Everything that was done is wiped out. They're, ab- and, you know, they're, tra- absolute, they're absolutely wrong. A new trial is a new trial. It's not a trial de novo. 
a new trial is a new trial. Okay. A de novo trial examines the original trial through the eyes of a new trier of fact. Okay. Looking okay. for looking for those two criteria. One of one is manifest error, and I think the other is misapplication of law. Okay. Okay. Now, if there if we appeal on a void judgment, void judgments can be attacked at any time. In any, in any venue, whether interposed or by a collateral attack, either one. And if the judgment is void, the there's nothing to appeal then, correct? Uh, technically, yes, that is correct, because the appellate court, on review of a facially void judgment, has a duty to actually vacate, to dismiss the appeal. If they recognize that the lower court didn't have jurisdiction, they cannot, by any mystery or magic, acquire the jurisdiction, so they have to dismiss the appeal, but they do have a duty to dismiss it with instruction to the lower court to vacate the judgment. Okay. Because I know failure to follow due process derives a court of subject matter jurisdiction. Correct. And, and there was no due process. And it doesn't matter whether it is procedural due process or substantive due process. Either one deprives the court of jurisdiction. Okay, now, you know, I'm assuming this, this guy is a recently elected judge and he was a former prosecutor, so, you know, I'm sure he's he's done a dream between years, obviously. Uh, he's probably... Uh, very well versed in the customs of the court to enforce revenue engines. Yes. And that's where the behind the scenes um, impetus got him elected is so he could make a lot of money. Now, here's a couple of interesting things that uh, it's not really questions, but maybe you have some comments on it. For one, uh, the first judge really wanted me to get a, uh, a jury. I mean, and, and I could just tell these guys were not for me at all. But he was like, you know, Mr. Casey, I strongly advise you get a jury. And so, you know, what, what's your thoughts on why he uh, did that? And then also uh, this uh, this new judge, uh, he, there was something he, oh, he wanted me to have, uh, he's like, I strongly, of course, they always strongly uh, want me to get a lawyer, but then he said, well, I'm going to appoint you a lawyer, Mr. Casey, and I said, I object. He said, oh, this lawyer here, I'm appointing you, he's just going to be your armchair counsel, he's going to sit right next to you, and if you have any questions, you can ask him. And again, I know that these guys are not my friend. I mean, I just saw him, you know, uh, uh, railroad a couple other guys that, that try to defend themselves, sort of try to defend themselves, but not really, they just, you know, they, they decided to uh, represent themselves, and he didn't. Uh, they just basically shut up and just, you know, took what the judge gave him. But that judge didn't ever try to bring a lawyer, or just or never said, "Hey, I'll I'll get you an armchair lawyer," or, uh, or or or. And I think one of them got like a year in prison. Now I'm just facing a little bit of fine, but he strongly wants me to get a lawyer, and he, you know, uh, forces me to, uh, you know, have this armchair lawyer, which I objected for, uh, just objected to anyway. But anyway, right. do you have any comments on that? 
Right. The reason why he wants you to get a jury is because once a jury has the, has made a ruling, the only way to uh, erase the factual determinations of the jury or by proof of fraud or jury tampering. Otherwise, that jury's decisions about the facts are going to be carved in stone. Whereas if it's a bench trial, the judge has a non-discretionary duty to render a findings of facts and conclusions of law. And they must be in lockstep harmony with the transcript. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Now, okay. as far as as far as appointing a counsel, he did that to protect the judgment of the court because otherwise you could complain that you were deprived of assistance of counsel. And that's what he was doing is he was giving you an assistance and he made that clear. So the Constitution requires that you have an assistant, but you don't have to turn over your defense to the assistant you can actually rely on them, and they can even have a conversation with you in courtroom as long as it's not out loud. And they have a duty to protect you in the same manner that a lawyer would, except they cannot uh, speak out loud. Right. They can't direct my case, right? They, I have can, to, uh, they, they can only make suggestions. Yes. But they have, they have to have a duty from, uh, to protect you. Uh, now, called assist of, of counsel, and that is a substantive right. So he did not want you to be able to appeal because you were deprived of assistance of counsel. Right. So he's making now, it conspicuous that he was he was offering you a helper, an assistant. Okay. One thing I did at that point, I objected, and then I asked him for uh, counsel of my choice and wanted next friend counsel. Are you familiar with the next friend counsel? I very, very much so, but here to back up just a moment, uh, the next friend counsel uh, is trumped by him appointing a counsel for you, and your way to trump the trump is to say that you need to vadire a counsel for competency. Okay. And that could be as simple as saying, sir, how many uh, are you familiar? Have you tried this type of case before? How many times? How many times did you win? Oh, well, uh, we did that. Excuse me. I need a win. I need all of those case numbers, and I need to go look them up. I need a recess because I'm going to have to look up every one of these cases because I don't want somebody sitting here who's going to give me a bum steer. So I need okay. to know that they're confident. And, uh, Richard, I, I thought I told Jason, I said, you know, of course I was we spoke to you, obviously, and listened to you, but uh, I said, you know, that's one of the things to tell that judge. Now, last time I was in here, you told me when I didn't, when I objected to attorney, out of your own mouth, you asked me, did I know what, an, what they call an attorney who represented himself? And you, out of your own mouth, said he has a fool for a client. Now, in American jurisprudence, it tells you if you're sitting over here being represented, you're a ward of the court, and you're considered non mentis. You're considered incompetent, that's why you have to have somebody speak for you. So depending on which chair this lawyer's sitting in, you're telling me he's a fool or he's an incompetent. Uh, it, no, 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 whoa, whoa. Great argument, but you never want to raise that thing even before a good judge. Okay. 
You just, you just want to let that one lie. Okay. okay. How, now, is there a possibility? How could I get, like, say, for instance, Levi to just sit there? I mean, I would like, you know, I, mean, I would like for assistance. If it's not like, you know, I, I can do my case. I don't need anybody to control it. I know that, you know, he can't do it anyway. But, you know, there's both of us have looked up lots of law, lots of uh, stuff, and there's some things I might have to uh, remember, remember on demand, and I might have forgotten that law or forgotten that court case, and and I. You know, maybe it'll be at the tip of my tongue, and I might need a, a memory aid so I can say, hey, Levi, what was that case again? And he, he could tell me. Is there a right. way I could get him there to sit there instead of that oh. lawyer? Yeah, here's how you do that. How many people do they have at the prosecution table? At that time, <laughs> at that time, nobody, because uh, my prosecution was, uh, the prosecutor was sick that day, and so uh, I showed up. I spent two days to travel down there, and they waited. They, they knew I was there, and they no, saw no, no, me no. there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm telling you how to do a strategy here. Okay, okay. You have a right to have as many people at your table as they have at their table. Okay. The fundamental rule is, though, nobody at either table can be called as a rebuttal witness. So okay. If you need... A Levi to be a potential rebuttal witness, then he can't be in the courtroom. Gotcha. So you have to consider the trade-off. But again, the fundamental rule is if they've got four people over there at their table, I want four people at my table. Gotcha. And it doesn't matter if they have a license or not. Uh, It doesn't matter because if they're at the table, they're there for purpose of uh, either helping or influencing. Right. And the protection against helping or influencing is they cannot testify. So they can't just sit there and listen over and over and over again to what witnesses are saying and then be called as a rebuttal witness. Neither side has that privilege. Okay. Okay. Well, do you have any other tips or suggestions how I should uh, no, go about this? Say your prayers and good luck. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate what about, that. What about the uh, wrapping up argument? Is there anything there that? Uh... Well, yeah. Your summation, both your opening statement and your summation, is the state has failed to charge a crime because they can't state the statute that imposes a duty on me to have a license. You've not heard any testimony, not seen any evidence of a statutory duty to have a license. And you okay, can actually I, then then move for your your directed verdict. And I should mention that in my opening statement also. Absolutely. Okay, okay. now the, the other side has to put their case on and then bring that up, correct? The other side gets to put their case on first and give their opening statement first but you have a right to give an opening statement, and your opening statement is that they have failed to charge you with a crime because they haven't stated the statutory duty, the, the statute that imposes duty on you to have a license. And or, if they, or if they come up with a statute, it's not, it's not one that applies to you. Okay. Now, the other thing, too, about this, in Mississippi, you have to be domiciled in Mississippi to get a 
a license down there. Otherwise, they go back and fall back on the federal compact, which falls under federal standards. No. Not anymore. They rely on Homeland Security. You can only have one driver's license, and it has to be in the state where you are residing, period. So it's like when I was living in Florida and my license expired, I had to get a Florida driver's license and I had to surrender my Oklahoma driver's license. And I had to submit a sworn statement under penalty of perjury that I had no other licenses. That's the uh, national ID national ID aspect of Homeland Security. And some things they do actually make sense. Uh, you don't want to have somebody have 50 licenses and yeah. evade prosecution. Right. Yeah, I remember that going on years ago. Right. right. So, uh, true, it derives from that uh, earlier law, but the Homeland Security's national ID has supplanted it. Okay. Here's one question that's partially related uh, you talked about having a, a an ID. I have an expired passport. Would that still suffice as an ID if, if I was asked for an ID? Uh, I don't know. I'm inclined okay. to I'm inclined to say no, but I don't know. But to be on the safe side, uh, go to a post office, and some do and some don't. Go to one that. Uh, provides for it and get a new passport. Okay. You want a picture you want a picture ID, here it is. Okay. Now obviously Amish don't have to do that though. Uh yeah. I don't I don't know. Okay. And uh, and uh see Native Americans have to do it, but they can have their own driver's license. Okay. But they just can't have a bunch of driver's licenses and only have right. one. Right. Uh, some years ago, I went and wrote up a description and put my picture on it and had my parents sign it and went down to the lawyer's office and had them notarize it and filed it in the county courthouse as a matter of public record. Right. Uh, now, you know, public records have to be accepted, you know, on each and every other well, they're Well, they're self-authenticating. Yeah. But, but again, it's a matter of being right or making your life uh, more agreeable, if you will. Sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're aware of all that. Right, because the uh, the establishment is full of psychopaths and sociopaths, right, and yeah. the psychopaths are actually, I mean, the sociopaths are actually more dangerous. Yeah, and I bring them out of the woodwork. You give them, you give them any gray area, they will kill you. They can blow your brains out and eat a sandwich at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and and thinking they're right. Uh, they don't I care think... whether they're right or not. Right or wrong is not an issue to a, a sociopath. 
Yeah. See, the fundamental difference between a psychopath and a sociopath, a psychopath does not know the difference between right or wrong, at least while they're committing certain acts. A sociopath does know the difference between right and wrong. They don't care. Right. Okay. They have no moral conscience. And I've, I've speculated that these uh, law enforcement academies are ritual. Uh, there's some kind of ritual activity there that those guys are susceptible to the demon possession. They get demons in those places. Well, to a very limited extent, because remember what they do is in publication. But where they where they do it is at the threshold of standards and testing. And what they'll do is they will test for sociopaths so that people that are normal and may be well-trained are screened out because they have a moral conscience. They're looking for people that have no moral conscience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're trying to set the record in that court because we're... Right, right, and it's uh, it's fertile territory. It's going to be an interesting year, and this is a small part of it. Yeah, well, I can tell the judge is against me. I mean, I can tell that he just uh, does not like pro se's. But uh, yeah, basically, I'm in there. My my main goal is to set the record and uh, and be ready for appeal if if it doesn't go my way. Right. Well, I appreciate your time, Richard. All right. Do you have anything else, Levi? No. Uh, Going to ask you how you done. Talking to you, Richard. Are you doing all right? Yeah. Well, no. I'm. I'm. This is probably the lowest ebb of my life. I mean, the establishment has been after me for years, and they just they keep tightening up the thumbscrews. So I'm. I'm in a financial struggle. Uh, I had to uh, exhaust the last of my savings. I've been scammed out of, uh, at one point, about a half million dollars. I'm still down about 380. Uh, it's been, I've, I've been punished severely for being a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. So. Well, well, if we could do anything to help, uh, I'm going to send you a gift. And if you ever need a uh you know, come up my way for a little bit. Um, you know, you're welcome. Right, and I appreciate that. Do you have the address? Yes, it's the same one you sent me just recently, right? Yeah, the 9575 okay. South Penn. Okay. In Guthrie. You got that one? Uh, I'm pretty sure I do. I, I'll double check, but uh, if I yeah. don't, I'll, I'll, I'll call and ask or text you. Sure. It's the 9575 South Pennsylvania Avenue, Guthrie, Oklahoma. Okay. And um, okay. I'm, liter- I'm literally a refugee there at this point. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think of, I know finances obviously is a big big area there. Is there anything else that we can? Yep. Sure. I'll I'll keep it in mind. One of these days, I may have a little congress of people gathered for uh, 
purposes of testifying before one or more federal grand juries and one or more state special grand juries. It's coming to a head. It just is a monumental struggle. Sure. Yeah. Well, we well, well, Yeah. Uh, and we want to, uh, yeah, like like he said, we want to back you up. We want to be part of that struggle. All right. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Okay. I appreciate everything. All right. Sure. All right. Take care. Okay, bye. Okay. Thanks again, Richard. Bye.